Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I'm honored to host uh, Gene Trowbridge with Trowbridge Law. Uh, Gene is someone who is a veteran in the industry. He has absolutely raised billions uh, of dollars with a B. And his group uh, has such a big presence uh, in the syndication industry. He is perhaps the number one lawyer in the country when it comes to syndications. I mean, he is a authority uh, figure in the industry. He is a national speaker, a keynote speaker in conferences. Uh, I have personally seen him speak in many conferences as well. Uh, his wonderful book uh, is uh, Syndication. It's a whole new business. It's a popular book that has featured as the bestseller on Amazon as well. Uh, he is a, a syndication attorney, a CCIM, and boy, the list of uh, his credentials goes on and on. So uh, without further ado, Gene, uh, thank you for taking time. It is an honor to have you on the show. Uh, kindly share with our listeners and viewers your background, and we can kick it off today. All right. Well, thank you, Sakar. That was a great introduction. Only a man of my age can have all those things said about me, you know, it just, it just accumulates over, over sure, the sure, years. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I would like to tell you a little bit about my, just briefly about my career. My career really has had three parts. I came out of college uh, in Minnesota, I'm mm -hmm. a Minnesota native, came out of college there and uh, went into the business of selling commercial real estate. Interesting. And that's when I got my CCIM and, and did all that. And um, somewhere toward the end of my stay in Minnesota, I uh, did my first couple of syndications with some friends. Interesting. And some friends and family, you know. Sure. So then in 79, I moved to California mm -hmm. to get away from the snow and all that. And uh, actually went full time into the syndication business. So for the next... 15 years, roughly, I was a syndicator. Mm -hmm. uh, most of my syndications, Sakar, were um, building self-storage facilities. Incredible. And, mm -hmm. and at the, the height of my insanity one year, I remember I counted them, we sent out 1,676 K1s. Wow. <laughs> that's that's at the time is a record for sure. <laughs> I, I spent three months looking envelopes and putting stamps on it. You know. Back then, there weren't any back office companies. Sure, sure. Uh, mm -hmm. That would help you with it. So it was all your staff. Sure, and, sure. And um, I really got to a point where I had done enough of that mm -hmm. and to get bigger would have been a bigger office space, more staff, and things that I really didn't didn't want to do. So I uh, looked into it, and I 
decided I'd do something that I'd thought about for a long time, mm -hmm. um, go to law school. I see. Mm -hmm. So I uh, went to law school sure. and knew I was only going to do one thing. I was going to do syndication securities law. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, that's really the third part of my career, commercial real estate, being a syndicator. And now for, gosh, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I, at 45, I became a lawyer and I've been practicing for 27 years. <laughs> so I think if you have your calculator, you can figure out, uh, sure, sure. figure that out. <laughs> but so, and, and uh, that practical experience that I had, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It sure, really sure. fits in with my, uh, and if you heard me talk, heard me speak, you think, I would think you would agree that I speak to the practical nature of things. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's that's one of the highlights I have always enjoyed about you, Gene, is that you have so much practical experience. You know how the business works uh, kind of at a practical level on the street and some of the constraints that the operators are always going through. You always kind of give the best advice and safeguard them as to what's the right way. And, and another aspect that I always love and enjoyed is that just watching you kind of breaking it down at a just a simpler level of explaining that how this happens, how it's done. And you can always kind of relate that, yes, you have seen the tough parts of the business. You've been in the trenches uh, doing the business. And it's incredible to, you know, as I said, it's, it's such an honor to kind of see and kind of here firsthand and hosting you on the podcast here. Now, speaking of syndications, Gene, uh, you described that you did syndications way back when you were in Minnesota. Uh, can, may I ask that what was like the first year of your syndication? When, when exactly was that? Boy, oh boy, it was, uh, it was in the seventies. It was in the late seventies. And I, um, I had, I had started buying some houses, <laughs> my own house with my wife and some rental houses. And I, I decided that the maintenance of that and the care of, of those properties wasn't going to work. So, I sure. decided I'd try to buy something different, and uh, I'm no different than any other syndicator. Sure. I didn't have all the money I needed sure. to buy all the real estate I wanted. Absolutely. So I figured I'd, figure I'd go out and, uh, and uh, talk to some people I knew. I didn't know how it worked, sure. but I, I thought we'd do it. So four of us bought a seven-unit apartment building. In St. Paul, and I liked that. And really, when I came to California, is where I went full time into the um, the securities syndication business. I built uh, oh gosh, uh, twenty four storage facilities, a lot of poured a lot of concrete, <laughs> concrete and metal roofs and metal doors and all that. But my first one in California was a mobile home park. Mm -hmm. And I hated the management of the mobile home park. It was mm -hmm. a senior park. Sure. And I hated that management. So I left that and went to apartment buildings. I hated that worse. Uh -huh. So I was just looking for something which would have a lot of units and easy to manage. And, you know, my first storage facility was 600 units wow. with a live-in manager mm -hmm. and one toilet. You know, so sure. it was an easy deal to, sure. uh, easy deal to manage. Sure, so sure. I, I went off to build facilities. So that's what I, I see. I see. And, and 
speaking of the history of syndication uh, perhaps gene when when exactly was like the true nature of syndications as we all know today kind of came to fore uh, because i would imagine like you know back in the days uh, from uh, sort of your knowledge and your experience those were all like joint ventured or loosely structured deals uh, you know, but- the, the securities laws you know were that we work under today were passed in 1933 and 1934. Sure. So from that point on, there was a structure. Um, When I got into it early, early on in the 70s, it was clearly, it was clearly a a structure. There was a regulation D at that time. Mm -hmm. I have quite a few more moving parts to it than it has now. Mm -hmm. But there was a huge change in 1981. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in in Regulation D, and that's really what we're working on now. Except for the you know the Jobs Act was a substantive change, sure. um, but it's all pretty much the same thing since uh, since 1981. Sure, sure, and, and thank you for all our uh, sh- uh, listeners and viewers of the show. Gene today has brought himself uh, with a set of slides that he's going to. Uh, sort of start as a screen share. So I encourage anybody listening in their car uh, and things like that, uh, perhaps maybe would want to take advantage of the video portion of this uh, presentation as well, that you can kind of see uh, the actual slides that Gene is, uh, is going to share. So uh, Gene, let's let's go through your set of slides and we can talk through the content and that will kind of spur more questions and uh, kind of share some more knowledge with our listeners. So. All right, I just have one more button to push and I think we'll be will be okay so I just want to start um, by giving you an update on where I am for the for the longest time I was just on my own uh, Trowbridge and Associates sure. and then six uh, six years ago I formed a partnership <laughs> with some ladies and we did very well for six years but sure. Um, at the end of um, a certain period of time, um, I needed to do what I needed to do being 72, sure. and my partner needed to do what she needed to do being 42. Sure. So in, uh, in April, I moved on and reestablished uh, kind of my own company, Trowbridge Law Group. But uh, kind of interesting, um, there, there I am, the old guy, the old mentor. And I brought with me from the other firm, Jonathan May. And Jonathan has uh, was a partner in the other firm for about five years. He's a UCLA graduate. And uh, in fact, he used to work with Amy Wan. That's where I met him, Sakar. Sure. And, and you know Amy, that's good. And then I brought along uh, uh, Carrie Dunn, who lives in Nashville. And she's been my meeting and event planner for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then our resident millennial, Emily, who happens to be my daughter, she works on our social media. And then Dave Utley, uh, mm-hmm. Dave's an interesting story. He's been doing this. He was with the other firm and I brought him with me. Uh, we just checked some records and he's filed over 690 uh, form Ds. Wow. In the last six years, we did a lot of business, you know, sure. <laughs> he, he does all that. And then uh, Tim, Tim Ivy, Tim is also with K 
came to me from the other firm. He's the person who, you know, does all of our our websites and I everything see. you've seen our things. He's in charge of our production and all that. Sure. So sure. I didn't just uh, leave the old firm and go into my garage to work. I uh, I just want to tell everyone that I I am actually, you know, hashtag not retiring. Good, good, good. Awesome. So, uh, as as you move on to your slides, Gene, let's let's go through some of the structure. You know how it is done and things like that. And sure. I, as we well, go that's out. where I'm going to that's where I'm going to start here. Sure. sure. Um, you have you probably have listeners, uh, followers who would like to buy their own property. They're trying sure. to figure out how to buy their own property. That's what we all did when we started. Sure. So my advice to you, if you're going to buy your own property, that you would use an LLC sure. and form that LLC to own your own property sure. um, by wrapping your property up in this LLC. You'll have some asset protection. And I think that's a good idea. And you and your significant other, your spouse or, or whatever, maybe your brother or sister are going to per, uh, purchase interest in the LLC. Sure. So that's the way everyone starts, right? Right. You know, right. Mm -hmm. Then the question really comes, so what if there's more than one investor? What if you need, you know, 10 investors? Sure. Mm -hmm. So you kind of need to, uh, to get with it and enter into the world of syndication. Sure. The number one question I get, the number one question is phone call. Sure. Gene, I want to put together a group of uh, six, seven, eight people uh, to buy a property and I don't want it to be a syndication. Sure. Mm -hmm. Bad question. Right. Because <laughs> it is a syndication. It is you know, a syndication. You go, you go to the movies and at the beginning it says Searchlight and MGM Grand and, and all this. Well, those are syndications. There's all sorts of things in life you do sure. where two people pool their money and their smarts sure, and sure. to get something done. That's a syndication. Absolutely. A better question is I want to put six, seven, eight people together and I don't want it to be a security. Sure. That's the real question. Sure. And so that's what happens if you get enough people, if you get one passive investor mm -hmm. for whom you're going to do the work it's a security sure and so that's what what happens and this is what the design looks like sure mm -hmm. if you're going to get multiple people you're still going to have an investment llc mm -hmm. that's going to be formed to own the property sure mm -hmm. you're going to have all the investors are going to put their money in that llc mm -hmm. and become members right sure. mm -hmm. But someone's got to got to herd these cats. Someone's got to run it all. So we call it the manager. Um, I'm suggesting, and I always suggest that the manager LLC be formed, sure. and uh, that that uh, runs investment LLC. Right. Uh, without forming an LLC and giving yourself some protection, mm -hmm. you as the manager are right up here with all the other members and there's no protection, they can all sue you. Sure, sure. So you wanna be up here as an entity, sure. as an LLC. Sure. And you make some money and get some fees and that's fine. And then you um, may very well uh, go to the bank 
And the bank says, well, Gene, you don't have enough liquidity. You don't have a big enough uh, net worth to uh, qualify for the loan uh, because the, the bank underwrites the property mm -hmm. and underwrites not really the borrower, but that's who's going to sign the document. So they want to know who's, who's on the document and they, they underwrite you. And if you don't have enough uh, net worth, then you might go out and get uh, oh, a sponsor, a KP, I call them enhancers. Sure. Someone to come into the deal who may or may not be a member of the manager. Sometimes they're required to be, and sometimes they're not. So this is, this is the picture of the structure uh, that I work in all the time, and all my clients work I see. in this structure. Sure. Now, and in this related question, uh, there, Gene, would be manager LLC is the one that's kind of fronting uh, and talking to people and things like that. And manager uh, entity is the one that's kind of a asset manager of sorts that is perhaps interacting with property management and things like that. So all of the sort of the operations that are happening are more or less, that's your manager LLC right there. Would, would that be a correct statement? Right. Another way to say it is this is the active member. Sure. Mm -hmm. And these are all passive. Sure. These are the passive members. And that's very important sure. because what we have here is we have investors mm -hmm. investing their money in a common enterprise. They're all going to do the same thing. They're all investing in the ownership of this property. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because of a profit. Sure. They think there's a profit. And how is, how is it going to happen? It's going to happen because the manager takes care of it. Investment of money in a common enterprise with an expectation of profit through the results of the manager, through the efforts sure. of the manager. Hmm. And you remember those words because we'll come back to that. But I sure, think this sure. picture tells that story. Sure, sure, sure. No, very well, very well said. So in, in the uh, world of securities laws, uh, when the securities law was written, a, a term was stuck in this great big paragraph of what a security is. And the term is investment contract. I see. Mm -hmm. And no one knew what an investment contract was until, oh, the 1940s mm. when... Uh, there was an action against an agricultural company who had sold people pieces of dirt and on the dirt were citrus plants. Mm -hmm. And the people bought the dirt, but the agricultural company said, well, we'll take care of the plants. We'll harvest, we'll do this, we'll sell, we'll share the profits with you. You can use your money to pay for the dirt. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. So... In, uh, in this world of um, things going wrong, the agricultural company went bankrupt. I see. And they wanted to foreclose on all these little notes that were out there. And the people said, wait, you can't foreclose on my note. You basically sold me a security. And they said, no, we sold you a note. Here's the land contract. Here's your payments. Mm -hmm. And uh, some attorneys got a hold of that and they went, uh, back and forth and back and forth through the courts all the way up to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court said this case, it's the, it was the Howie Agricultural Company, mm -hmm. is the perfect case to define what an investment contract is. I and see. so there are four parts. 
it's an investment of money mm -hmm. in a common enterprise, expectation of profits from the investors solely through the efforts of the promoter. promoter. Got exactly it. the picture I just showed you. Sure, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. You with me? Sure, absolutely. Sure. And that's, that's the Harvey test as you defined it, basically. Right. So. And how do you get out of this? How do you get out of this security mm -hmm. uh, trap? You get out of this security by getting rid of the promoter. Mm -hmm. If you had three or four people investing in the LLC to buy the profit and they ex to buy the property and they expect a profit, but they're doing all the work, they're making all the decisions unanimously. Sure. Three mm -hmm. people, three right. votes. Mm -hmm. That would yeah. be a joint venture, right? At that point. Be, I'm going to call it a member managed LLC. And that kind of flows with my, with my chart. I'm sure. not sure a joint venture is not a security. I sure. would have to see what the layout is. And mm -hmm. one, one person has 90%, the other person has 10. If that's how they're voting, 90-10, that's a security. Sure. If they're voting two votes, regardless of their ownership, sure. maybe maybe it's something different. I so see. yes, we have a security, and this is this is where all my business comes from and everything your listeners want to see. So sure. the flow chart goes like this. Are we in the world of a security when someone hmm. calls me? And we could go over here and we could say, well, if it's a small enough group, and you give everyone an equal vote and all the decisions are made unanimously so that no one is in charge, mm -hmm. you would call that a member managed LLC. Sure. And mm -hmm. it's a non, non security. But if you're going to be in charge and make some money and make decisions and sign on mortgages and all that, you're going to be the managing member. And so your LLC is going to be manager managed. Sure. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the security world. Right. And in the security world, basically, we're going over here. Sure. Um, you may have had someone talk to you about Regulation A and Regulation A plus, which is kind of a kind of a hybrid public offering, and that that's okay. But ninety-seven percent of the money that's raised in private placements is raised in Regulation D. Got it. Mm -hmm. The most Current, it's amazing, the most current statistics on a 12-month period of time from the SEC said that there, there was $1.8 trillion raised in private placements. Wow. <laughs> and 97% is in Reg D. Um, wow. Mm -hmm. Only six or seven hundred million, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, billion, uh, were raised in um, real estate because private placements are everywhere. Sure, sure, sure. It just goes on to show that the real estate versus just the applicability of all the syndications and Reg D for all the different asset classes that typically the syndication, you know, sure. kind of happens. I've done, I've done racehorses, I've done intellectual property, I've done schools, I've done medical facilities, uh, all sorts of things that aren't sure. really real estate right, over right, time. Right. But this is where you're going to be, where you're going to want to be. The securities law says that every security must be registered with the SEC mm -hmm. unless it's exempt. Sure. Well, here comes Regulation D. Sure. Saying this is one of the things that they carved out of the securities world mm -hmm. 
to and gave the private placement people a chance to do offerings that are exempt. Sure. So instead of spending hundreds of thousand dollars in a, in a year to get your offering on the street, we can get your offerings out there in three or four weeks. Sure. Mm -hmm. Every attorney who works in this field can do that. And it's much, sure. much, much cheaper. Sure. So here's, here's back to your question. Sure. What were the changes? And this slide brings me up to date. Um, in 1981, Regulation D was changed to codify Regulation D Rule 506, not with the B, but Rule 506. I see. And uh, what that rule said, you know, you can raise as much money as you want. Mm -hmm. In the old days, you could only raise $5 million. I see. But now you could raise as much as you want. Mm -hmm. You can have as many accredited investors as you'd like. Mm -hmm. And in the accredited investors can just check a box and say that they're accredited because you know them, sure. mm -hmm. you're not advertising. Mm -hmm. And in addition, they allowed you 35 sophisticated investors. Sure. Mm -hmm. That was a move on the part of uh, the SEC to promote capital formation. Sure. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there's a bunch of rules in Reg D. One of the rules says you need to do a PPM and uh, one of the rules says you cannot advertise or solicit. So it's truly a private placement. Sure. Well, that, go, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask there, uh, the, the Butler's bullet there, uh, Gene says that PPM recommended or perhaps required. So is it still the current state that I was under understanding that PPM, uh, the private placement memorandum is always required or is it something under B, uh, you know, we of course do it nowadays, but is it something uh, that falls under recommended category as well? If you put a, um, well, the simple answer is if all your investors are accredited, mm -hmm. you're not required to have a PPM, but I, I, won't, I won't really write any offerings if a client comes to me. I mean, I've done some deals where three accredited investors got together and they each brought in $10 million to do something. They didn't need a PPM. Sure. They needed the operating agreement and they knew what the, what the property was. They knew what they were gonna do. And so you sure. don't need to go through all that. But if sure. there's one sophisticated investor, just one. Sure. You need a PPM. Sure, sure. So this went along until until really 2012 when the Jobs Act came along, mm -hmm. and 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 here's how I worked in in this area. I could raise as much money as I wanted from as many accredited investors, but I couldn't go out and find them. I couldn't advertise. I couldn't solicit. So the number of accredited investors that even knew about me mm -hmm. was limited. Sure. Okay? Mm -hmm. I had a limited number I could ask for money and then these all these accredited investors would only know me and a couple other syndicators. You know, it was kind sure. of a, a closed world. Sure. Well, Congress says, why can't Gene go out and syndicate and contact every accredited investor in the country, about 
15% of the households in, in the United States are accredited. Mm. Why can't Gene talk to all of them? Sure. Mm -hmm. And why can't the accredited investors reach out and find all the genes that are in the world and see what their deals are? Sure. And you sure. know, if we opened it up, maybe it would improve once again, capital formation. Maybe it would promote capital formation. Mm -hmm. So the Jobs Act came along and added a B to the old rules. The old rules stayed exactly the same. Sure. They called mm -hmm. it B. Mm -hmm. and, and they instituted C. Sure. Raise as much as you want from as many accredited investors. Uh, because you don't know them, you can't just let them check a box. You mm -hmm. do go through a few steps to see that they're reasonably assured. You can have no sophisticated investors. Sure. Uh, PPM's recommended just because there's so many investors. You've got to tell everyone the same thing, mm -hmm. same time, put it in writing, and advertising and solicitation is allowed. Sure, okay. sure. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big change, and that really came into uh, full-blown approval in September of 2013, but Sakar, even until this day, the overwhelming amount of money in private placements is in B, where the sponsor and the syndicator know the investors, hmm. the investors know the syndicators. In fact, I have my most prolific syndicator uh, in the last six years, I've done 119 offerings with them. Wow. <laughs> okay, so that's a lot of offerings. Sure. And they do 506Bs. They only take accredited investors and they won't take any new investors. I see. I see. They have their investor pool. They know who's going to invest with them hmm. and they just do their business that way. Sure. And, and speaking, some, speaking of uh, 506C there, uh, Gene, um, I also thought that uh, in the 506C world, you typically have to, uh, I guess, get third-party verification for your accreditation status. Is that's that, what is this that? bullet point is. The sponsor needs to be reasonably assured. The world sure. rule is <laughs> the sponsor needs to take steps to be reasonably assured. So we need to... Sure. Now, you wouldn't need a third party if you were comfortable seeing their tax returns and things yeah. like that. Right. And then you get their tax returns and you have to keep them for seven years and there's some confidentiality there. <laughs> so most people use a third party. Third I don't party. know if you've had anyone from like Verify Investor on your, on your talk show or one of those companies and they can tell you how they do it. It's a great it's a great service that sure. uh, mm -hmm. that they they provide. Sure. So that's where we are today. And um, of the regular in real estate, of the regulation D offerings, five hundred six B is five hundred six B is far and away the most popular. Probably uh, eighty to ninety percent of the money that's been raised. Uh, is still in 506B. 
I see. I see. Now, speaking of, you know, like some of the other related things, uh, Gene, like let's say preferred return and things like that, right? Uh, would you maybe, uh, what are what is your kind of take on it? Like, would you maybe recommend always to have a preferred return uh, when, when it comes to like sort of structuring the returns and things like that? W what is your take on some of these things? I think it goes to the project. Sure. It goes to the property. For example, I built uh, a whole bunch of self-storage facilities. Mm -hmm. Our purpose was to buy the dirt, build the project, get it 50% mm -hmm. rented, and then sell it. Mm -hmm. We were not involved in monthly or quarterly cash distributions. Sure. So mm -hmm. there was no preferred return in that situation. I see. Mm -hmm. If you were going to buy an apartment building that, that was a... Um, a value add situation mm -hmm. and you didn't have any cash flow for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I don't like the idea of building a preferred return from day one. Sure. I sure. might very well say, okay, we're just going to split 70, 30, 70, 30. Sure. But sure. when it comes time to sell, mm -hmm. let's give everyone their money back. And then let's look at what that 70% meant to the investors. Sure. And see if it if it equaled a eight uh, percent preferred return. And if it didn't, maybe we need to give them another check to catch up. Sure. Mm -hmm. To the eight percent. Mm -hmm. um, but then there are a lot of people who are just doing um, properties that produce cash flow from day one. Uh, we have a client who does a lot of Dollar General stores, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those are are produced, are d designed to produce cash flow from day one. And then you could do a preferred return there. Mm -hmm. um, that's fine. Um, without getting too far into the weeds, I would tell you that my most sophisticated clients have gotten away from preferred returns. It's just a 70-30, 75-25 split, and that's it. Sure, sure, sure. Now, Gene, speaking of, that's, you know, the... That's where it goes. Right, right, right. Now, Gene, another related question would be is that uh, since as experienced as you are, right, I mean, a lot of folks are exposed to stock markets, uh, you know, just by general habit of investing. You, uh, you know, every time someone has surplus money, the next thing they do is go, go in and invest in stock markets. Mm -hmm. But can you maybe talk about your experiences about the power of sort of the syndications and what sort of benefits and advantages it kind of gives well over a stock market and why someone should invest a lot more time and effort into learning what these markets are, what different commercial real estate avenues are, and what sort of you know benefits that someone has. So I always like to, you know, as experienced someone like you comes on the show, I like to always kind of dig into a, a sort of these topics where we are discussing, you know, sort of the Wall Street versus the Main Street uh, type of uh, discussion. Well, I think you're going to be surprised in what I have to say. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to start with, if you haven't been in the stock market in the last three, four or five years, that's been a mistake. <laughs> really? No question about it. And if you haven't been in the real estate market since uh, 2012, <laughs> that's a mistake. 
Sure. So we've got the best of both worlds going. Uh, sure. The stock market has its liquidity. It has its ups and downs. It's a, it's, it's a feverish thing. Sure. And good old real estate just sits there. Sure, sure. You get the tenants to pay your mortgage. The property goes up in value. You generate some cash. Well, you know, as a CCIM teacher, I always was able to teach that real estate is the ideal investment. And you've read, if read, read my book, and I put, I put that in there. Sure. Ideal meaning income, depreciation, equity buildup, appreciation, and the ability to use leverage. Sure. It's just the best of all times. And, and I would think uh, other people who are maybe more versed in studying this than I am would say that many, many people mm -hmm. in this country owe their net worth to real estate. Sure. Now, you know, but if you look at, you know, the top five people in the country today, as far as wealth, I was listening this, this morning, and the guy who has a Tesla mm -hmm. just moved into the top five of wealth and all the, you know, he's doing cars and all the other people are in uh, Facebook, Amazon. Uh, the real wealth isn't, uh, isn't in real estate today because the world has changed, but uh, uh, most of mine is. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, speaking of some related topics uh, there, Gene, uh, and, you know, like talking about, like, let's say the deal structuring and, you know, investor uh, education and things like that. For passive investors who may be listening to this uh, show, right, uh, what can you say that what some of the things you would uh, kind of give advice to passive investors to kind of before they jump on uh, into, let's say, passive investing with somebody mm -hmm. or in some deals, what, what, what some of the pieces of advice you would give uh, to some of those uh, folks? Well, I think a passive investor should learn something about real estate. Sure. Things they should they should invest in. In, in real estate unless they know something about real estate. Sure. And uh, without talking about how you'd look at an individual deal, mm -hmm. I have four questions I think a passive investor should ask. Sure. And uh, if there are some syndicators out there, you should listen to these questions because you better be able to answer them. Sure. If you're going to get my money. The first question I'm going to ask you, Sakar, is, you know, I kind of like your deal. I've got the $50,000 you're looking for, mm -hmm. but tell me, Sakar, what happens if something happens to you? Sure. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for sort of the past, the syndicator, what's sort of the survivability or, you know, if the- Continuity. Fall, right. I'm looking so, for continuity. Sure. That managing member LLC better have two people mm -hmm. or more in it. Sure. Because that's a problem. I've been the replacement, um, general partner managing member of seven different funds in my life hmm. where there was just one person and it's not just death there was one death but there's bankruptcy divorce disappearance sure. health and uh, the investors are at great risk if something happens to the one person sure so that's the number one question and people send me documents they say will you review my documents and i don't i'll only go so far i will look to see the structure of the managing member. And if it's an individual, 
Mm -hmm. I uh, tell the people not to invest. Period. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. I see. Second question. Sakar, um, have you done this before? Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. a track record of sorts. Now, you know, all of us have had to say no <laughs> once. So in, in my, my steps of doing things, mm -hmm. one of the 10 things I say is your first deal, you got to get your first deal done. Sure, and sure. it's got to be a success. And all I mean by that is you, you find the property, you get the documents, you raise the money, you close, you start managing the property. Sure, That's sure. all I think. So when you ask me, hey, have you done this before? I can say, hell yes. Sure. Once. Mm -hmm. once. I see. <laughs> you you got to get by the no. And if you can't in your first deal, you haven't done it. So you have to you have to tell them that. But what else have you done to prepare yourself? Sure. Well, I've owned six properties myself, or I've been a co-GP with other people, or I've been a passive investor in 30 deals. Sure. What have you done? You know, you're going to have to do that. Sure, the sure, third sure. question that I think the investor should ask, and here's another one where you might be surprised at my answer. The third question is, well, Sakar, you... Um, are you going to have any skin in the game? Are you going to put any money in this deal? Sure. Mm -hmm. okay. Very important. I, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I used to think the answer to that question was, well, Gene, it's a $50,000 minimum for all the investors, and I'm going to put in $50,000. Sure. <laughs> okay. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me, Sakar, you're going to sign on the $3 million loan. Sure. And Isn't that skin in the game? <laughs> so I don't think you can tell the investors or, or don't tell the investors, don't let them think that the only skin in the game is a direct cash on cash type of an investment. You're matching sure. their investment. Mm -hmm. I'm signing on the mortgage. Sure. You know, I think that. And if you went out and got a KP to sign on the mortgage, you know this, sure. you're going to have to pay them something. Right. Because right. the signature is worth something. So sure. if you're going to sign on the mortgage, it's worth something. That's sure. skin in the game. No right. doubt about it. Sure. And sure. then the last question the investor should ask is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm 72. I may need liquidity here. Mm -hmm. What are your provisions for liquidity in your fund? Sure. And mm -hmm. what you're going to say is, well, we have, a, we have professional attorneys who draft our operating agreements and Article 11 is our uh, article on liquidity, and I'm, I'd be happy to go over it with you, and I'm sure you'd be satisfied that we have pretty good plans for liquidity in case you need your money out. But real estate is going to be, you know, a three, five, seven, ten-year hold. Yeah. So let's think about that before you invest. Right, right, right. Awesome. Great, great point. Great point. So uh, thank you, Gene. And one, one last question uh, here, Gene. Uh, we always talk about onboarding the passive investors and uh, what sort of that process should look like. And the word gets thrown around, uh, you know, called the three-touch rule, you know. Uh, what exactly is that? Or is it more of a uh, sort of a... Uh, term given to some process uh, and things like that. Could you maybe share some thoughts on like onboarding the passive investors? Well, yes, because what you have to have, you have to have a pre-existing substantive relationship 
to defend a claim that you advertise. Sure. Okay. Are mm -hmm. you solicited? And so one of the defenses is pre-existing and substantive. So what is pre-existing? In my world, it means you have a relationship with the person before you go to the attorney and sign the fee agreement to have the attorney draft the offering documents. Because <laughs> up until then, you may have a letter of intent, which may never go anywhere. Sure. You may have a purchase and sale agreement that you might decide that you're going to buy the property yourself. Mm -hmm. You might wholesale it to someone else. Sure. Not in my world, not until you sign a fee agreement with the attorney, uh, do you have an offering. So mm -hmm. at that time, your database needs to freeze. Sure. Mm -hmm. Everyone in your database up to then, you can talk to about this offering and everyone who's in your database after that point of time next deal. I see. I see. Give you the next deal. But I've got to talk about the three touch rule and the 30 day rule, which I hear all the time. There was actually a no action letter issued in the 1970s mm -hmm. to someone who said, this is the way we're going to attract investors. And we have a three touch program. I see. Mm -hmm. And it was a detailed program. Mm -hmm. And the SEC came back and said, well, if that's the way you are going to do it, mm -hmm. we would not come after you and say that you're advertising and soliciting. I see. There mm -hmm. is no such thing as a blanket three-touch rule. Sure. Mm -hmm. Morning, lunch, and dinner. No. There's <laughs> no such thing. In sure. fact, I believe you can form a substantive relationship with an investor in one meeting. Sure. If you're a good qualifier and ask good questions and they're forthright and they tell you what they know and you tell them what, uh, uh, what you're doing, sure. uh, I think you could do that. So, no, I'm not a believer in the three-touch rule. And then the 30-day 30, 30 rule is that's just another thing that's out of a, an SEC document called LAMP Technology, where they were they were trying to raise money online, <laughs> and uh, they had a fund that was going to be open for three years, <laughs> and they said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna market on the web, we're gonna draw people to the website, but if the only people who can ever invest with us were people who knew us before we started, we're kind of in trouble. Sure. Mm -hmm. So they came up with a plan that they were going to educate people. Sure. They were gonna meet people. They were going to educate people. And when they found that the people, that they had a substantive relationship with the person, the person was suitable, the person wanted to invest, they put a 30-day hold on it. Right. You can right. buy into our fund 30 days from now. But there's no bright rule of 30 days. You wouldn't need 30 days. Sure. Sure. Uh, but that's, and, and so don't, don't hamper yourself with the old wives' tales about those rules. Sure, sure, sure. Awesome, awesome. It's been a pleasure, Gene. I appreciate your time today. Uh, you know, uh, uh, thank you for you know sharing all your knowledge and your slides as well uh, with all our viewers and listeners. Uh, kindly share with the listeners how they can find you and learn more about you. Okay, here we go. Let's go back to the last, the last slide I have. <laughs> I'm all ready for that question. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Trowbridge Law Group. Sure. 
you can just uh, send an email to contact at Trowbridge Law Group. You can call our main line, or if you want, you can just send an email to me, gene at trowbridgelawgroup.com, or call that number and ask for Gene, and they'll transfer the call to my direct line. Sure. So and pretty simple. Absolutely. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate it. And we'll have all the contact information in the show notes as well. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And I look forward to, you know, having further conversations yeah. with you You're on welcome. another episode. Thank, okay. thank you for coming on. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest. Music